People will talk about life like it's a story, like it's got some kind of arc or narrative to it. If they're right, if our life is a story, what kind of story is it? You've got the setting. Well, we just kind of wake up in this big, seemingly indifferent universe. It's got laws and attributes that don't necessarily seem for or against us. And it's a crowded world, full of people. And we can be friendly, but it seems like there's a competitive side to it. We're competing for resources or opportunities or affection. And the characters, well, that's us, right? We're the main character anyway. There are the other people in our lives as well. These may not technically qualify as characters, but I would put events in there too. Things that happen or don't happen can have a lasting impact on how we see our life and how we feel about it. Luck is a character. It seems like making or missing breaks can have a big impact on our story. What's the plot? Essentially, it's I'm trying to make my life go well. Am I going to get what I want in my ideal life? You know, seek happiness, avoid pain, but with a lot of shades and psychological complications, of course. The conflict usually comes with other people. They harm us or stand in our way or something. Or there's something emotionally or mentally in us that challenges us. Basically, the conflict is the distress when things are going poorly. The theme of our story kind of follows that. You could state it as, I am sticking up for myself, and hopefully some others I care about, in this world and trying to get things to go the way I want them. And the narrative arc seems pretty set. If things go well, you're born, you're a kid, you grow up, you get old, and then the story's over. But what kind of story is that? Is that really all life is? Actually, there may be some things we left out. Tonight we're going to look at unseen spiritual aid and companionship, a greater plan and protection, new challenges and meaning in our day-to-day, and a trajectory that keeps looking higher forever. Tonight we're going to look at how really, the story we just told isn't the story at all. Of all the questions that we could ask, what's the most fundamental one? Well, right now, probably, like, what am I doing watching this weird internet video? (laughs) Granted, of course, but backing up a bit, I would think the most fundamental question that we can ask about life is, what is life? Mm, It's got to be, yeah, because we, we can all agree that there is this thing called life that we're in right now, but how would you describe its nature? And you could try to reduce that question to mechanics. What is life? As in, what's it composed of? How do those pieces interact? Sort of the systematic nature of life. But you could also ask, and I think this could even be the more important question, what's the emotional nature of life? Do you know what I mean? I think so. Like, what it makes me think about is different types of movies, genres of movies, they say. You know, like you've got a horror movie. And in a horror movie, you may have elements that have to do with, with love or, or friendship or lightheartedness or something like that. But the fact is, something scary is happening. That's the overall story that you're in. Yes, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And if you go way back in time, you've got like Greek tragedy for another example of a genre. And there, again, you could have love, you could have other elements, but, but the fact is, you know it's gonna end horribly for everybody. <laughs> and there are genres that are like comedies or dramas, you know, other types. So which one of those is life? That's Mm. what we want to ask today. And am I right in thinking that since this is Swedenborg and life, 
we'll be asking it from a Swedenborgian perspective. Right? Exactly, that's the brand. How does what Swedenborg tells us about the nature of life change how we see life overall and our individual stories? Mm. In the intro, we saw a potential version of the what you might call the unaltered story, how life might appear to us on the basis of our sensory impressions without any kind of spiritual insight. And I have interpreted my own life like that story so often, and it's not a story that feels good. No, it just doesn't bring you peace. There's no sense of purpose in it. No, what it does give, for me anyway, is the perfect environment for fears to grow in. Mm. It leaves me feeling competitive and anxious. And it, yeah. what it really does is put me at the mercy of my own imagination. Because any fearful or unpleasant interpretation of life that my mind tries to give me, any negative message, my mind can just point at this and say, well, in a story like that, something really bad could happen and probably will happen. Yeah, and in the world that Swedenborg describes, imagination is not just sort of misfiring of neurons or something. It's actually this active force of hell going through spiritual channels, trying to get us to feel despair or to act out in dysfunctional ways and preying on us wherever we're weak. And hell, or the source of all the negative side of human psychology, according to Swedenborg, is really crafty and strategic and devious. Yeah, terrifying. But you know what they have no power against? Oh, what? The truth. Just seeing things as they really are dispels all that regret and hmm. anguish and anxiety, everything that hell is trying to bring to the table. It's striking that hell needs us to believe a false story in order to have any power over us. So let's see what effect it has on our state of mind to replace the way life seems that we saw in the intro with what Swedenborg says is the actual true story of our lives. How does seeing things as they really are change how we see our story and so our experience of life? Mm. Should we try this out? Yeah, let, let's go. And by the way, everybody, we're thinking about six elements that go into every kind of story. You have the setting, the characters, the plot, conflict, theme and narrative arc. When people are writing stories, they think of these elements. When they're evaluating stories, they look at them from this angle. So we could use these to have a look at our lives. But yeah. where would you start, do you think? I think let's just start at the beginning. Okay. Let, let's take each element one by one. But if we first establish where life happens, we can also look at, is it really what we think it is? What life is taking place in says a huge amount about the nature of what it is. Mm. Is it some freak accident of physics mm. and we're this thing that emerged against all odds and there's absolutely no template to where we go from here? Just think about the feel of that story. What, what soundtrack would go with that movie? Right, are we as individuals just as some stroke of luck that could have just as easily gone a different way? Well, what did you say about it in the intro? Oh, well I said this. You've got the setting. Well, we just kind of wake up in this big, seemingly indifferent universe. It's got laws and attributes that don't necessarily seem for or against us. And it's a crowded world, full of people. And we can be friendly, but it seems like there's a competitive side to it. We're competing for resources or opportunities or affection. There are so many contrasts with that picture of life that Swedenborg offers. You could say that the setting for us is actually that we're suspended between heaven and hell, that we're on the first stage of a never-ending journey. But really, if we look at what we had before, the contrast that jumps out to me is with the indifference on the part of the universe. It's completely the opposite 
of divine providence. Yes, because in the highest level view, the place that life is happening in isn't defined by the collection of matter that you're standing on, or even the state that you're in spiritually. The big place that we're all in is divine providence. Mm, I like that way of looking at it. Providence is why events and places and even thoughts and feelings happen like they do. And providence is not at all indifferent. This is how Swedenborg describes it. Mm. The Lord's divine providence has as its goal a heaven from the human race. It then follows that divine love, and therefore divine providence, has the goal of a heaven made up of people who have become angels, who are becoming angels, Mm. people with whom it can share all the bliss and joy of love and wisdom, giving them these blessings from the Lord's own presence within them. Mm. So the underlying force driving everything around us isn't cold and oblivious to our existence. Its goal in everything it does is to make us as happy as possible. It's not so bad. I mean, you could easily think that the foundation of the universe doesn't care about us and doesn't care about what's right or what's just or anything like that. I mean, take the example of gravity. Does gravity care whether you get hurt by it or not? Does temperature care whether you're suffering or not? Speed of light doesn't, doesn't care. But those things, the key to it is they are not actually the foundation of the universe. And they're certainly there, and they're certainly constant, but Swedenborg is saying that the reasons they're there, the reason that we start life in a regimented physical universe, the person who green-lighted the project Mm. is God. And God's providence uses this world like a tool to get us to that eternal happiness Swedenborg was just writing about. Mm. So we go from, I'm a small creature in a huge world at the mercy of its whims to bring me either great joy or great suffering or something in between, to life itself is working as hard as it can to make me as happy as I can be forever. Now that's not such a subtle change, huh? (laughs) Sounds like a whole different genre of story, right? Yeah, that's right. And I don't know about you, I would rather see myself in that second story than the first. It seems more like the kind of story a being with unlimited divine love and wisdom would write. Mm. And that's just with us changing our perspective on one of the story elements. That's right. We've got all the other elements of storytelling to look at. So should we get started at that? Let's do it. So we know where the story is happening, but who's in the story? And are they really who we think they are? This is what we said in the original story. And the characters, well, that's us, right? We're the main character anyway. There are the other people in our lives as well. These may not technically qualify as characters, but I would put events in there too. Things that happen or don't happen can have a lasting impact on how we see our life and how we feel about it. Luck is a character. It seems like making or missing breaks can have a big impact on our story. Very well said, Curtis. Okay, so maybe this isn't exactly how you would frame your story, but hopefully you're seeing some commonalities, that there's some truth to the fact that at times we default to a mindset like this. We sometimes see life as this kind of story, but that's totally wrong. It's garbage. Let me walk you through where Swedenborg's view of reality says that this one is false, which is good news, by the way, because I don't know about you, but seeing life in this way has caused me a ton of unnecessary suffering. First, events and luck. Isn't it the easiest thing to look back in life and be haunted by what ifs? What if I had said something different or done something different? Couldn't I be somewhere so much better? Have I missed out on something? Have I failed? Nope, because you can't miss out on something. You're being taken care of much more carefully than that. The happenings that we call events and luck aren't really these isolated, arbitrary things. We just learned in the last section, right? That's divine providence. That is, even though 
you know, it's a winding route, there's a conveyor belt taking us as far up into happiness as we'll possibly let it take us. In fact, we did a whole show on how Providence is wrapped up, even in the minutia of things like luck. If you want to check it out, it's right here. But what about the rest of all that stuff? Is that right? I mean, are, are those the characters? Well, we're certainly a character, and yeah, other people are too, but what strikes me about this isn't what's wrong with what's there, but what isn't there. What's going on here with people on Earth is, in a lot of ways, the least exciting part of the story. Like, for example, God. And in particular, I want to look at just how involved God is in the story of our life. The state of rebirth for each of the senses and for every attribute on the earthly plane, and for every attribute on the rational plane as well, has its progression from beginning to end. When it reaches the end, it starts all over, beginning with the final stage reached in the earlier state and continuing to a further goal, and so on. Eventually, the pattern switches, and what had been last becomes first. These advances and developments are unending in people who are being reborn, stretching from their infancy all the way to the end of their life in the world and beyond to eternity. Yet the process can never regenerate us to the point where we may be called perfect in any way. The elements needing rebirth on our rational and earthly planes are numerous and even limitless, and each of them has unlimited offshoots or advances and developments, reaching both deeper inside and further outside. We are completely unaware of this, but the Lord knows absolutely all of it and provides for it every moment. If he let up for just a second, all development would be disrupted. What comes first looks to what comes next in an unbroken chain and produces a series of consequences to eternity. Divine foresight and providence clearly covers the very smallest details then. If it did not, or if it took only a general sort of care, the human race would perish. Just look at how much involvement God has in our life's trajectory and that God is constantly steering around these unseen obstacles that would obliterate us if he didn't. It's really like, that's the story. If you're just paying attention to, oh, today on my way home, there was a lot of traffic, it was annoying. It's like we're missing the headline of life. Also, here in our picture, we're missing the two major groups of characters that make up the title of Swedenborg's most popular book, Heaven and Hell. And while those are characters on their own, and obviously hell is constantly trying to destroy us, I say obviously, obviously for Swedenborg readers, heaven is trying to protect and uplift us. What's most fascinating to me is that knowing that heaven and hell exist should dramatically change how we see these other characters, the people in our lives. Swedenborg writes, there are good spirits and evil spirits with every individual. We have our union with heaven through the good spirits and our union with hell through the evil ones. So it's not just that heaven and hell influence our minds, giving us these positive and negative feelings, but they're doing that to everyone else too. So when I encounter somebody and, you know, they're shifting moods and they're, to me, perhaps strange ways of behaving or interpreting life, 
I've got to remember they're actually caught up in the middle of the influence from heaven and hell too and treat them accordingly. And quickly, one more thing about the events in our life. So much of what an event means to us depends on how we interpret that event. So our mechanism of interpretation is very heavily influenced by heaven and hell. Hell is always trying to say, look, that thing, that means something terrible and it's your fault. Why don't you just give up? And heaven is trying to tell you the truth, that everything is going to be all right. Everything is going to be okay. That what really matters, despite what seems to be going on in life, is to just push away any impulses to do harmful things to people and to love and cling to what's good and true. That's all you really have to do. So we're part of this vast, vibrant collage of characters, and there's a lot more going on than there seem to be. So we've really started to see things change here in our perspective on our life story. The environment where the story takes place has been upgraded dramatically, and there's a big shift in who the players are as well. But what about what's actually happening in the story? Let's take a look now at how Swedenborg's perspective changes the plot. As a reminder, here's the default perspective on the plot we offered before. What's the plot? Essentially, it's I'm trying to make my life go well. Am I going to get what I want in my ideal life? You know, seek happiness, avoid pain, but with a lot of shades and psychological complications, of course. You know, it's kind of a bleak us-against-the-world picture, isn't it? And it seems like our contentment, our feeling of gratification is the focus. Everything is measured by how it works for or against that contentment. But what's the full story? What's really going on here? Well, for starters, it's not us against the world. We're actually hooked up with some potent and surprisingly intimate spiritual help. This is from Secrets of Heaven. Most of all, angels regulate our emotions. What an astonishing thought. Why do they do that? Since these constitute our life and our freedom, angels watch to see whether hells that were not open before open up and exert an influence on us, which happens when we take to some new evil. Now, this is a very important point, which is that it's not that evil can just charge into us on its own whenever it feels like it. But if we happen to start some new behavior, that has a siphoning effect and opens up that hell and it starts to influence us. And so angels need to, whoops, oh, new situation, need to try to regulate that. Swedenborg continues, so far as we allow, angels shut off these hells and remove any spirits who try to emerge from them. They also dissipate any strange new influences that have a bad effect. Above all, angels call on the goodness and truth we harbor. In other words, that's goodness and truth in us and use it to block the evil and falsity stirred up by evil spirits. So that explains why it's so important for us to have some goodness and truth in us for them to work with. So there's a lot to unpack in this quote. First, we have an entirely new theater where the action of the story is taking place. It's not just whether we got that promotion or if we're tired or bored. A lot of the crucial elements of the plot of our life are playing out in the spiritual conditions surrounding our hearts and minds. And the angels are putting in a lot of work there. 
Angels regulate our emotions, we're told. They're also checking out if there are new hells affecting us that weren't before, keeping those in check, even keeping spirits from coming out of those hells to cause trouble. It's like a whole separate Ghostbusters movie is happening on top of the movie that includes our interactions and challenges in this world. And what happens on the spiritual side has a huge impact on the earthly side of the story. The interplay between heaven and hell and how much of each gets into us drives how we think, what kinds of things we are attracted to, and what kinds of decisions we make. And in the dark side of this layer of the plot, hell is very much trying to get us to, and I'm not trying to badmouth hell or anything, but they're trying to get us to let them ruin our life. This is Secrets of Heaven again. It's important to realize that hellish spirits who are permitted to attack the good in this way intend nothing but evil, since they want to drag the good, meaning good people, down from heaven as forcefully as possible and throw them into hell. To destroy anyone's soul, that is to destroy anyone forever, is the central pleasure of their life. How sick is that? The Lord does not yield them an inch, though, except in order to bring good out of it. The good he seeks is to firm up and strengthen truth and goodness in people undergoing times of trial. So the intensity of this story is really starting to pick up. Not only do we have this cosmic tug of war going on between heaven and hell and playing out in our consciousness, but you've got this covert op from God Hell is trying its hardest to completely obliterate us. Again, really unlikable characters. But God is actually taking that effort and mystically pulling the right strings so that everything hell tries to do to us actually ends up bringing some kind of good instead. It might seem like the deck is stacked here. I mean, we've got us and angels and God working against the relatively measly little hells. No contest, right? Ah, But there's another plot twist coming because there's a double agent here. There's a part of us that's actually trying with all its might to help hell. Secrets of Heaven 1049 says, Having mercy, though, is something God can be said to do because He realizes what we humans are like. He knows that our self-centeredness reflects hell and is our actual hell because our self-will keeps us in touch with hell. Self-will is such on its own and by hell's inspiration that its strongest, keenest wish is to throw itself headlong into hell and is not content with this, but wants to drag everyone else in the universe along with it. So this self-will, which could be summarized as a desire to put ourselves above everyone, could be seen as the main antagonist in Swedenborg's works. He says that we all have it to various extents. Because of the state the human race has gotten itself into, we're all born with the potential or the inclination to put ourselves, our wants, our needs, our justifications as superior, as preeminent above everyone else. And though it might seem like our life is a struggle against other people or outside forces, the actual conflict may be with this double agent inside ourselves. It's a shocking sort of twist that as we come to the conflict chapter, 
in the show, we've actually found out that the main conflict might be a part of us versus God. Well, I know that we've been throwing a lot of stuff at you, but at least everything we've said is clear and intuitively obvious and doesn't raise any major red flags. So we'll just Wait, what? Right into what do you mean it's us against God? I never did anything against God, and I never tried to throw myself into hell. Is this just another one of those religious guilt trips? Ignoring how good most people are and calling us evil just to square with some bizarre metaphysical equation? If this double agent is such a problem, then why do we all have it? Who put it there? Why is somebody his age wearing a graphic t-shirt? Is the polo really outside his budget? It's what I get for clicking on suggested videos. <laughs> okay, yeah, touche on that last one. But for the rest, yes, it's a complicated picture and I'm gonna try to lay it out as best I understand it. The double agent, or sort of built-in connection to hell, is what Swedenborg calls inherited evil. I would say the best modern equivalent term is ego. We start out with it because it's the effect of a long-term pushing away of the divine over generations and generations and generations back into history. We actually did a whole show about that if you want to check it out more. It doesn't mean that we're born evil, but we have a tendency to get enjoyment from the things that hell suggests to us. Wanting to control people, wanting the best things for ourselves only, finding it amusing when bad things happen to other people, getting the last word in, revenge. These are all the things that hell thrives on, and isn't it a little bit bizarre that in a lot of situations, that stuff feels good to us? So it's this inherited condition that has us opening the door to let hell into our thinking and feeling. So obviously that's not a good thing, but there's an added problem, which is that when the door swings open to hell, it shuts off our access to heaven and God, or at least severely impedes it. So with that in mind, let's take a look at our original story. The conflict usually comes with other people. They harm us or stand in our way or something. Or there's something emotionally or mentally in us that challenges us. Basically, the conflict is the distress when things are going poorly. Nothing in there about opening this door to God, but it should be because Swedenborg makes it seem like this may actually be the most important plot element in the whole story. He writes, the reason divine providence focuses on what is infinite and eternal, particularly in its intent to save the human race, is that the goal of divine providence is a heaven from the human race. Since this is the goal, it follows that the main focus of divine providence is reforming and regenerating us, that is, saving us, since heaven is made up of people who have been reformed and regenerated. The main focus of divine providence which does everything, is to regenerate, or if you want, save us. But let me tell you why I like this, or why I prefer this story to the one over here. Because if you were to put together a list of things that people value and long for the most, it could read something like this. Uh, being loved and appreciated. Finding romantic fulfillment, uh, like a soulmate or something equivalent. Finding a meaningful purpose in life. And finding a community of people that you really fit in with. Doesn't a lot of the drama in life revolve around, am I going to get these things or am I going to miss out? Is there even something like that out there for me? So while it's not guaranteed that we'll get that in this life, Swedenborg says all of that is guaranteed in heaven. You can actually read about how each of those specific things is taken care of in the heavenly setup. Check out his book, Heaven and Hell, for more. But having that awareness consolidates what we need to focus on in this life 
down to just this partnership with God and trying to get the door to open the right way. As is said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and you will gain all. So now we get to see how we can change the way that we see the theme of the story of our life. So to start that off, Chelsea, what is the theme of a story? There's a good distillation of theme in this article from ThoughtCo.com. When we refer to the theme of a book, we are talking about a universal idea, lesson, or message that stretches through the entire story. Got it. So what would an example of a theme be? In that article, they give a few common ones. Judgment, survival, peace and war, love, heroism, good and evil, circle of life, suffering, deception, coming of age. Right, so it's what's the story really about? Uh, let's see what the theme was in our intro video. The theme of our story kind of follows that. You could state it as, I am sticking up for myself, and hopefully some others I care about, in this world and trying to get things to go the way I want them. So, not a very inspiring story of what life is all about. No. It sort of fits into the survival theme. Right. But how does Swedenborg's worldview change that? Seeing what he saw, what do you think the actual theme of life is? It's such a huge question that probably has all kinds of answers, but I guess one major theme that comes to my mind is transformation or redemption, finding, pursuing, and fulfilling our purpose. You know, everything that's involved in the process of having the Lord in us and us being in the Lord. Definitely. And branching off from that celebration comes to my mind with a grand plan when we actually see it as it really is, is just so breathtaking. Mm -hmm. We have this promise of this level of interdependence, loving interdependence that we as a human race can get into. The happiness that would bring to everyone in some ways when you're looking at that, the story becomes or the theme becomes, wow, this is really awesome. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, I can't help but recognize, you know, that life just also has so much pain in it. And yeah. in, even in the afterlife Swedenborg describes, not everyone is choosing heaven. So in a way, it's this gritty, real story of love on the one side and genuine freedom on the other, which puts real stakes at play. God makes us, but then can only hope that we go and choose love and we have kids and try our best. But in the end, we can only hope for the same yeah. thing. God had an intent in creating everything that we would freely choose this sort of life plan that God was setting out there. So maybe when you look around at the good, but also the chaos, maybe the theme is letting things go free and the beauty when love does choose to reconnect. Yeah, and that connects to the theme of redemption, I think, because as we've said, God isn't this passive participant, even when those stakes are at play. It's really that God is actively engaged in the work of our salvation constantly. So it's really this ongoing rescue story in a lot of ways. I love that rescue because it's both on the cosmic scale where God is trying to save the human race from hell and save us from the inherited evil inside us and all that. But yeah. on a really personal level, doesn't finding the truth or finding God rescue us from everything that we are trapped in? All of our fear or depression or grief or hopelessness is the essence of at least this first phase of life captured in that phrase, God will wipe away every tear. Yeah, I think, I really think there's just the, all of these elements in the themes that capture life. And so maybe the true theme of life is some angelic term that we can't right. even articulate on this plane. Some heavenly word that captures the sum total of all these sides of the journey of our life. But in any case, I really do think it's a very good story. 
So here we are, the last chapter, and we want to know how our new spiritual vision of life changes how we see the narrative arc of our story. We've seen a lot of big changes in this episode, but this one really is a seismic shift. For background, the narrative arc is the scope of the story. Mm -hmm. How long does it go for? What happens when? All aspiring writers are told that it's important to get this right, and a good narrative arc usually looks something like this. You're going along, things are starting up, and they're pretty chill. Then you have the inciting incident, there's rising action as things get more intense, then it all hits its peak at the climax, and then things start to calm down. We finish up with our resolution, and then that's the end. And without a concept of eternal life, the default is to see our own lives follow a similar arc. Here's how we put it in the intro. And the narrative arc seems pretty set. If things go well, you're born, you're a kid, you grow up, you get old, and then the story's over. And don't we even tend to assign the same timing? Oh, the peak is when you're young, mm, in high school. Any story needs to progress like this because every story's got an end to it, right? Except Swedenborg says the stories of our lives don't end, right? It's amazing, but to truly capture what we're told about the actual arc of our story, you'd need a chart that looks more like this. Two things about this. First, no, it doesn't end. We're showing a cutoff point here because we've got a finite amount of space on the screen, but you could scale it out forever. And second, even if life goes on forever, you could just have a straight line or a little wiggly line that goes up and down but returns to the same level instead. And this upward curve isn't a given. There have been plenty of religious views that describe a static afterlife where maybe you get a big joy jump when you come in, but that's where you stay in a perpetual state of glorifying God or some other heavenly activity. Okay, so what is Swedenborg saying? Well, he paints this almost unbelievable picture of not just love and wisdom and joy and peace, but a never-ending increase of those things. And if you want to see a little more about that, check out our episode, The Heaven Project. We as angels, he says, aren't static at all. We keep learning, growing, and coming into greater and greater, more and more meaningful states of heavenly peace and joy. Wow. There's some little ups and downs in there, right? Well, sure. He describes challenges that you go through and everything, but everything, the whole main sweep of it, is building. It goes up and up. One way you could put it is that the arc of the story is always, there are big things ahead. Because no matter what point we pick on this line, no matter how amazing things already are, the really good stuff is just around the corner. Okay, I'm sold. And that's a story that I wouldn't mind living out. We've been talking about how concepts from Swedenborg's books change the story of life. But we especially value learning how these ideas change the story for all of you out there in a personal way. Here are just a few of the many comments from viewers we've received. The first one from YouTube under the show How to Deal with Evil Spirits. I have had entanglements with evil forces my whole life. Somehow I came in with these things. This is information I really need to understand to empower me against them. Many thanks for the work you do. You probably help way more people than you know. Empowerment is the key idea in there. We've heard from so many people that knowing about the influences of evil spirits in the mind changes the whole story. Instead of identifying with what comes into our heads, we become observers who can choose how to respond. Here's a comment from Facebook. I am so happy to have found Off the Left Eye. I was looking for help with my son's passing away and found it on YouTube. 
It has helped me to believe that I will be with him one day. When I miss him, I turn to an episode and it helps me understand what my son is going through in the afterlife. Thank you so much for all you do and for the beautiful videos. It's beyond heartbreaking to believe that when someone you love dies, that is the end of your story with them. To know that the story continues changes everything. The time apart becomes a relatively short chapter in an eternal relationship because love is eternal. I'll share one more comment from YouTube under the show, Seven Laws of Divine Providence. Your show and the ways that you teach this stuff have finally helped me to see that God is good and humanity is good and I can let go of the doubt about that now because I used to wonder about all the bad stuff that hurts. I wonder more about the goodness inside of me now, not just the bad. Your show and your work have changed my life and I just cannot thank God enough for this channel. There's so much agony in only seeing life from a surface perspective, but to make a shift and trust in the deeper eternal story can bring an inner peace no matter what is going on externally. That's why we want to offer these ideas on this channel to support a positive change in people's perspectives and lives. Well, with everything we've learned tonight, let's retell that story. Mm. But instead of this time of telling the story of the way things seem, let's look at the story of the way things really are. Mm. So what's our story really like? Well, we know that we're all born into and will forever be cared for by divine providence, which is the unseen hand of total love and wisdom guiding us toward as much lasting happiness as is possible. It's a big universe. We got people and spirits and angels, and not everyone is friendly, but the good never leave our side. They're watching us, guiding us, and they're always reaching out to be received. Even the seemingly random things that happen end up working for good. While we might feel small in the grand scheme, the day-to-day -day steps that we take to turn away from what's harmful and toward what's loving can actually tip the balance in the struggle between heaven and hell in our hearts and minds. And if we make that connection to God a priority, we can find that the work on our spiritual growth will bring all the good things we've been longing for into our lives. It's a story about love and trust, hope after despair, and the realization of something that's almost too good to be true. And it's a story that no matter how good it gets, the best is still yet to come. We want the ideas and insights we cover to be available for free to anyone, anytime they need them. That's why we offer Swedenborg's books as free downloads on Swedenborg.com, and we share all the content on our Off the Left Eye YouTube channel with no paywall or ads. The only way to keep this up, though, is for those of you who like what we're doing and feel comfortable giving, to give. If the idea of helping others have easy access to the content we produce feels meaningful to you, please consider supporting this cause with a donation. You can go to otle.causevox.com and follow the prompts to give a one-time or recurring donation. We'd be honored to have you become part of our growing community of supporters who help these ideas reach and nourish thousands of people every week around the globe. Give if you can, receive if you need. If we cycle through this way, in the end, everybody wins.